As I think about the power of words, the power to bruise and the power to heal, to incite and divide, to calm and connect, to create an effect, words fashioned with influence and might make you hear, make you see, make you feel. Words are living, careful things. Whether spoken or written today or 3,000 years ago, they breathe today as they did before. They can start a great love, start a great war. Their echoes are endless. Words define the heart, ignite movements, and sometimes less is more. In this case, it's just 16 words. First-time experiences are memorable. They are life-defining. And so if you really want to make an impact, if you want to create a defining moment in someone's life, you need to pay attention to your first impressions, to the first memory you leave. Now, with this in mind, it's very interesting to look at the first impression Jesus gave us as He was finally stepping into His public ministry. He knew how important first impressions, first memories were. And this is the one He left for us. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And at once, they did just that. They left their nets, and they followed Him. The first thing we see Jesus doing is calling people to follow Him, to follow Him. Now, that's interesting in our world today because we don't see Christianity as such an active involvement, but instead we see it as more passive and being spectators to what's happening in the spiritual realm. But Jesus' first impression, the very first thing He made clear as He stepped into public ministry was that following Him was going to be different. It wasn't going to be passive. It was going to be active. He was inviting people to get up, to take action, to follow Him, not just to listen to Him, not just to watch Him, not to be spectators of His great spiritual leadership and His great spiritual teaching, not even just to believe in Him, but to follow Him. You see, He makes it clear that following Him leads to becoming what He's designed us to be. He makes it clear in this first moment that through involvement and action and participation, these who chose to get up and participate to follow Him would become, they would discover all He had made possible for them. They learned from the beginning of their journey of faith all the way to the end through participation. Not by being passive, but by being active. This weekend, I want you to see this vital truth that Jesus gave us as the first impression of His ministry. Jesus calls us today, as He did back then, Jesus calls us to be active not passive, to be participants, not spectators. And you need to realize this is exactly what was going on then. Though they claimed to be followers, though they did take some steps to follow Him, though they did initially embrace the call to take action, they threw their nets aside and they followed Him. As it turns out, as you follow the course of their life through the beginning years of their time with Jesus, they followed Him, but they followed Him passively. They followed Him and listened to Him. They followed Him and watched Him. They followed Him and even began believing on Him, but they didn't follow Him and do like Him. They didn't take action. You find this in John chapter 13. I mean, almost three and a little more years after they started following Him for the very first time, we find that their following was passive instead of active. 
Because Jesus, the entire time he was with them, taught them that life is not about getting others to serve us. Life is about serving others. And what we do naturally is we, we really try and get others serving us and lifting us up. But he had come not to be served, but to serve others. And he was calling them and us to do the same. And yet, even after three years, they didn't get it. They were celebrating the Last Supper, the Passover celebration, just before Jesus was to go to the cross. And they walked into a room to celebrate this dinner together. And there was a basin of water, and there were the rags and the towels to wash feet, because with dirty roads and open-toed sandals, they had to wash their feet before they could participate in a meal. But there was no servant there. And one by one, these who had followed Jesus, not actively but passively, these who had listened to him teach about serving but hadn't take action to serve, sat around the table, and not one of them served the other by washing their feet. And so there they were, reclining at the table, feet dirty, and Jesus got up and he said, I'll be your servant. And he washed their feet. And then look at his follow-up. John chapter 13, verses 12 through 17. When he had finished washing their feet, He put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand, he says, what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. You say that I'm your teacher. You say that I'm your Lord. And that's right, because that's who and what I am. But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have actually washed your feet, I didn't just talk about it, I didn't just teach about it, I've actually washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. You get the the juxtaposition of the tension of his words? You say I'm your Lord and teacher, but you don't do what I've shown you to do. You need to do as I have done for you. And then he goes, I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master. You're not greater than me. Nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And if I'm here to serve, you should serve. And then he says, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you... What? Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Here's what he's saying. Knowing doesn't lead to blessing. Knowing doesn't lead to discovering and experiencing God's promises in your life. Doing leads to it. And yet think about how Christianity in general is lived out today. Christianity has been lowered to a knowing experience. We come and we know a little bit more. We listen, we watch, we go to the place that entertains us the most, and then we leave knowing a little bit more. And we wonder, how come I'm not experiencing the promises of God? How come I'm not experiencing the blessings of God? How come I'm not experiencing God's touch in my life? Because knowing isn't enough. Jesus made it clear. It's not passive. It's active. Spectators don't experience it. Participants do. Knowing's not enough. We've got to do the things he's shown us. Here's the reality. The journey of faith At every single level, at every single season, wherever you are in your journey of faith, to outside of faith, trying to figure out if Jesus is real, to deeply inside the faith and fully committed to Jesus, the journey of faith at every level demands involvement. It demands it. In fact, look at how Jesus says it straight on in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 20 and 26. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, there you hear it, Everyone who hears these words, they get more knowledge of my words. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them and puts them into practice, that's the wise man who built his house on the rock. And he says, the storms come, the turbulence comes, and and you stand strong because your foundation is upon truth because you're doing it. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, does not do them, is the fool who built his house on the sand. Most of Christianity is lived out and expressed by sitting, by watching, by listening, by hearing, by spectating. But true Christianity is about participating. It's about taking action. Now, we've been in this series called 16 Words, and these are 16 words that define the mission of what it means to be God's people. This isn't the mission 
of an organization. It's the mission of God's people. And the only way an organization, a church like Northridge, reflects these 16 words is if the individuals who come live out these 16 words because a church isn't a reflection of an organization, of a name, a denomination. A church is a reflection of the people. And so when each and every one of us reflect the 16 words he's called us to, then this church becomes light in a world of darkness. 16 words. The interesting thing is we've only seen 14, right? Now, if you've missed this series or missed portions of it, we give the talks away online. Go to northridgechurch.com and, and, and watch them and get caught up. But I'll, I'll review quickly for you the 14 of the 16 words we know. The mission he's called us to is to wake the world up to Jesus Why? Because without Jesus, no matter what you have, you have nothing. But with Jesus, no matter what you don't have, you have everything. Jesus is what we're looking for. We need to wake the world up to Jesus because when we do, they find light and love and hope and purpose and promise. Wake the world up to Jesus, six words. But if we're going to wake the world up to Jesus, we need to know how. And the first how is found in four words. If we're going to wake the world up to Jesus, we need to show them his love. Not our love, not typical love, not human love, His love. We need to show them His love because by our love will people know that our followers, we're followers of Christ by our love for one another. Show them His love. And then, once we show them His love, their hearts are going to wonder, what's different about you? Why are you different? Why do you care? And then we get to second step forwards, tell them His truth. So we wake the world up to Jesus. We show them His love. We tell them as truth, but that's not quite enough. There are two words left, and they're found in the application of this weekend's talk. If we're going to wake the world up to Jesus, then once we show them his love, and once we tell them his truth, we must then, final two words, involve them. We must involve them. You see, everything in the 16 words rides on these last two words. Everything Because as Jesus said, knowing isn't enough. Knowing doesn't lead to the blessing. Knowing doesn't lead to the experience. We can wake them up to Jesus and show them his love and tell them his truth. But until we involve them, they're never going to experience it. Until they take action, stop spectating and start participating, they will never ultimately experience it. And of course, the same is true of us. This is why... Jesus' great commission in Matthew 28, 19, and 20 is said the way it said. His great command to all of us as believers and to his church, to his family, is this in Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of all nations. Know this. You know what the word disciple means? Follower. Go into all the world, into all the nations, and call people to follow me. Isn't this interesting? What was the first impression, the first act of his public ministry? What did he leave us with as that first memory. He called them to follow him and it was through taking action and following him that they would become. And what has he now called us who are his followers to do? To get others to do the same thing. Not to come watch, not to come listen, not to become spectators, not to remain passive, but learning and knowing more, but to actually follow him. Go into all the world and make followers of me out of all nations and get them involved. He says, baptizing them, involving them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Get them to move. Get them to take action. Get them to obey. Baptize them and then teach them to obey everything else I've commanded you. We're supposed to get them following, taking action, get them involved. And then he says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So what does Jesus call followers to do? And I know all of us at Northridge aren't followers yet. Some of you are here searching. Some of you are here seeking. Some of you are here wondering, could Jesus be real? Could the Bible be true? And we're glad you're here. And it's important that you know we have no hidden agenda. We want you to know what you're getting in for and what it is to live like Christ and why many who call themselves Christians might not live like Christ. And that's what this is all about. But bottom line, if we're going to follow Jesus, then we need to understand that he's called us to get others to follow him. Jesus involves us in what he's doing in this world. 
He involves us by getting us to call others to follow him. We're supposed to call others to do the same thing we're doing. We're supposed to be following Jesus. We're supposed to be obeying Jesus. Of course, involving others in following and obeying demands that we're involved in following and obeying. Good work. You're right there with me, hanging on every word. I see it. Thank you very much. It's very gratifying. (laughs) If we're going to get people involved in following Jesus actively, we must be involved in following Jesus actively. If we're going to get people involved in obeying Jesus actively, we need to be involved in obeying Jesus actively. And this is the problem with Christianity in general. Most of us are following Jesus like the disciples in John 13 passively. We come and listen to the teaching and watch the ministry unfold. And then we leave. But he's called us to follow, to become participants, to get involved, and then to get others following and participants and involved Following and obeying Jesus, are you? Now, this is important at every level of the journey. Christianity is not more important at the beginning than it is at the end. If we're going to really be actively following Jesus, experiencing Jesus, not just knowing him, but doing him in this world, experiencing his promises at every level, at every season in our journey of faith, we need to be active. And I want to show you this. I want to give you some examples of this. And you need to know it's not going to be exactly the same in any of our lives. It's not going to be, we're not cookie cutters of each other. And the people that we're involved with, the the thems in our world, the people in our world, they're not going to look just like us. But at every level in their journey, in our journey, we need to be involved with him. Uh, Let me give you some examples of how it's so important. Let's start at the very beginning, even let's start before the beginning. Let's start pre-faith. Before I get to the place where I'm convinced about Jesus, that I'm convinced that God is true, that the Bible is true, I'm, I'm on the journey to faith. I haven't yet experienced faith. Well, those on the journey to faith need to be involved. They need to be involved in seeking. Now, we have this tendency to believe that pre-faith people, those who don't yet know Jesus, those of you who are here and and you're wondering if God is true and Jesus is real, we have the sense, most of us, that it's just time to listen, to know more, and that kind of thing. No, it's not. If you're going to truly take the journey to faith, if you're going to truly find and discover the reality of Jesus in your life, you need to get involved in seeking Those on the journey to faith need to be involved. We need to involve them if we're trying to introduce them to the reality of Jesus. Get them involved in seeking. Look at Jeremiah 29, 13. God says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You you will seek me and find me when you hear a really great talk. No. You'll seek me and find me when you... You, really, friends, seriously. <laughs> You'll seek me and find me when you seek. You've got to get involved. Too many people really believe that all they have to do is be passive, and one day God's going to show up and say, I'm real. That's not going to happen because God shows up every day and says he's real. We just don't notice because we're not engaged in seeking. When you seek, you'll find. Jesus said, seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened. Ask and you'll receive. God becomes real to us when we literally get involved in seeking him. Seekers need to take action. They need to actively seek. Are you? We need to involve them in it. Let me give you a great example of this. I mean, God went to the trouble to give us an example of this. We don't know the guy's name, but we have him identified. He was an Ethiopian eunuch. He was a high government official in the kingdom of Ethiopia, obviously from the continent of Africa in the day, way away from Jerusalem, way away from the teaching of God as the Jews gave it, and way away from the ministry of Jesus. I mean, Africa. And yet this guy was searching for God. And you go, 
you go, how could he be searching for God and searching for Jesus if he was from Africa and never heard of him? Romans 1.20 makes it very clear. None of us have an excuse because all you have to do is look at this creation and you can know there's one unbelievable God out there. I mean, we have a world of power. He must have power. We have a world of beauty. He must be an artist. We have a world of love. He, he must be a person who can engage relational love. We have a world of life. He must be alive. And the Ethiopian eunuch looked at this world and he goes, I want to know this God. I want to know the one who made me, who made this. And he started searching. And as a result of him searching, God never plays hide and seek. God revealed himself to him. He literally sent one of his followers, Philip, a long way away into the middle of nowhere to tell him about who God is, to tell him about Jesus, the truth of the Bible. And this man then got active, put his faith in Jesus, and literally helped to change Africa in those days. But here's what I want you to see. God will always reveal himself to those who take action to seek him. God will always reveal himself to those who take action to seek him. You don't have to worry about those people in faraway places who, who don't naturally hear about Jesus. We should care about them. We should want to take the message to them. But you need to know this. If they honestly search for God, God will honestly reveal himself to them like he did with the Ethiopian eunuch. But we need to be involved. We need to involve them. It's important when we go beyond the journey to faith and we get ready for faith. We get to the place where we go, this Jesus is real, this God is real, I need to know him. Well, those ready for faith need to be involved in choosing faith, in choosing it. It's involvement, and this is important because we live in a world that teaches and, and shows us passive Christianity where we don't have to do anything and everything is done for us. Think about how most people view Christianity these days. Christianity is conferred on us by our parents. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to. Are you a Christian? Yeah. Why? My parents were. Really? They just conferred it on you? It's awesome. Then there are other people who go, are you a Christian? Yeah. I was raised a Baptist. Well, then you're not a Christian. Or I was raised, I'm just, it's a joke a joke. You know, or I was raised a Catholic, so I'm a Christian. Or I was raised a Methodist, so I was a Christian, you know. Christianity cannot be conferred on you by your parents. Christianity can't be conferred on you by a church. There are other people who think, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm an American. Have you looked at America recently? Really? It can't be conferred on you. It doesn't happen in passivity. Do you realize even God cannot confer Christianity on you, not because he's not all-powerful, but because he has limited himself to our free will. We must choose him. So if we're going to truly experience Christ, become a person of faith, when we're ready for faith, we need to be involved in choosing it. Look at Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, and then 13. If you confess, that's action. If you take action and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he said he was, he's Lord, I'm not, he is, and you believe in your heart, that's not academic, that's you transfer trust from yourself and what you think is right to him and what he says is right. You believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You're going to be saved. For it's with your heart that you take the action to depend on him, to believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you take action to confess not only your guilt, but his goodness, that he's Lord and you're saved. And then verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I, I can't tell you how many people I've asked, are you a Christian? Yeah. When did you become a Christian? I've always been one. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. You might have always been religious, but you haven't always been a Christian. When did you take action and say, I'm going to confess my sin, I am going to believe on him as Lord, and I am going to receive forgiveness and salvation? That's the moment that you become a person of faith. It's important to know. It's important. So it's important that we involve them on the journey to faith in seeking. It's important that we involve them in receiving faith because they need to choose it. It's not conferred on them. And then it's important once we're in the faith. Many of us are already in the faith. 
Well, those in faith at every single level of their journey, whether they're new in the faith or old in the faith, need to be involved with God's family. We need to take action to be involved with the gathering of God's people. It doesn't have to be a big place like Northridge. It can be a smaller place, but we have to be involved with God's family. And by the way, not just attending, but involved. This is important. Most people think they've changed the spiritual landscape by attending a place called church. No. The only thing that changes you is not passively being a spectator at a place called church. The only thing that changes you is by becoming a participant and getting involved with God's people as they know and serve God. Are you? This is important. So we must get involved, and then we must involve others. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 41, so you can see how it happened in the first church. Those who accepted his message were baptized. They took action. They obeyed him. And about 3,000 then were added to their number that day. 3,000 were added to that church, to that assembly of believers. They got involved with them. And if you read Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, they got involved in the teaching, they got involved in the community, they got involved in the generosity, they got involved in the serving, and as a result of it, the light started shining and the world started waking up to Jesus because all of them together were involved in knowing Jesus, showing his love, telling his truth. They were involved in involving others. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Have you noticed how... You can be on fire with love and good deeds for a while, but then you start, you know, taking the dive. Have you noticed this? We need to spur each other on to love and good deeds. We need to be iron sharpening iron. We need to be encouraging each other, but that takes involvement. It doesn't happen when we just come in, sit, listen, watch, and leave. Come in, sit, listen, and watch, and leave. The only thing we're doing is getting spurred on to monotony. We need to be involved. We need to be participating. And this is what it says. Here's how you're going to spur one another on to love and good deeds. Don't give up assembling together. Don't get up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and do it all the more as you see the day approaching. Church is supposed to be a place of participation and interaction, not a place of isolation and passivity. It really is. And yet, people can come into a place like this, whether it's a big place like this or a small place like this. They can come in lonely and leave even more lonely because no one ever asked their name. They all came in, sat forward, listened forward, and left. It's true in a place like this, even in smaller places, that people can sit within 10 feet of each other for years and never even know each other's names. And I believe it's criminal that the church of Jesus Christ isn't at least as good as cheers. Look at If Norm, the beer-guzzling drunk, knows your name, some Christ followers should know your name, right? Serious. I'm being very serious. So this weekend, since it's supposed to be about participation and interaction, I, I want you to take a risk. Hearts begin fluttering. <laughs> and I want you to get involved a little. I want you to take a couple of minutes to get to know someone around you, and here's the operative word, that you don't know. It's not time to get reacquainted with your spouse, all right? I want you to take a moment and get to know someone around you that you don't know. Take a risk. See what happens. Here are some suggestions on the video screen. I'm going to come down and join you, and I'll be right back up. No, this is a time to get to know people, not to leave. All right? I'll be right back.
Okay, everybody. Thank you very much. I actually, um, I actually feel really bad right now because I, I spent all that time ramping you up to participate, and now I'm saying, "Shut up, sit down, <laughs> start watching and listening." <laughs> But here's the thing: it's okay to have moments where we sit. We listen. We hear. That happened with Jesus, with people on a hillside and in synagogues in his day. But it's not good enough to leave it there. And I, I want you to know, I'm so concerned that so many people could see this as an event hall instead of a church. I'm so concerned that people could come in here feeling lonely and leave even more lonely because they came into a place that talks about Jesus, but no one even wanted to know their name. And I just encourage you. Make this your behavioral pattern. Make it your law that no one will sit within ten feet of you in this auditorium that you don't engage and that you don't welcome into your life in some way and that you don't find out something about them and maybe invite them into your world outside of this place into your small group because listen, church is about participation, not not being a spectator. It's about community, not isolation. We need to spur each other on to love and good deeds. It'll change our world. And by the way, can I just point out? Because we're afraid to do this, aren't we? We're afraid to to step into people's lives and to ask them. Well, you know, they shut us down. We'll bug them. But I don't know if you've noticed this. To the best of my knowledge, during those few minutes, no one died. <laughs> That's awesome. I didn't hear EMS. Nothing happened. I mean, it was great. And if it had happened. We would have been better equipped to do CPR because we were up and talking to each other. I, it, let's let's take advantage to get involved. Let's involve ourselves and involve others, and it'll bring about a joy. It goes further than that, though. If we're going to involve them, we have to understand how important it is in the journey—not just to faith and to become a person of faith and in faith at the beginning, but those in faith at every level of the journey, new and old, need to be involved in growing. And maturing, there are some people who have been Christ followers for 30 years, and they're still infants spiritually. They've heard a lot, they know a lot, but to grow and to mature takes involvement. Look at how the Bible says it in First Peter chapter two, verses two through three: Like newborn babies, you need to crave hunger for pure spiritual milk. And spiritual milk is talking about. God's truth being received when it's being heard or received. You need to, like newborn babes, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, but there are a lot of people who think, okay, the the milk of the word is when the pastor gives really simple talks. People like Brad, you know, but but the meat of the word is when really intelligent people. Give really technical and deep talks, and I've actually received letters from people saying, "Brad, I just wish you'd give us the meat of the word, because you're just giving us the milk of the word, and you need to know you really misunderstand milk and meat. The only thing I can give is the milk of the word. The only one who can turn it into solid food and meat is you, and the way you do it." Is by practicing it, and this isn't me. This is Jesus talking. Look at what he says in Hebrews five through Paul. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature. And how do they turn it to solid food? Who, by constant use, have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. You turn the milk of God's truth into solid food by practicing it. I can give a horrible talk, and have given plenty of them, and you can still turn it into meat if you take the truth in there and start practicing it. Involvement is where it all begins to take life form. Involvement. This is so important because those in faith at every level need to be involved. Yes, in growing, in maturing. But they also need to be involved in serving, and this brings us full circle to where the original followers of Jesus were. They listened, they watched, they heard, they were entertained. Jesus was a spectacle who walked on the water, and they saw it. But they never 
took action to serve others. They just sat around the table and let him serve. And that's what happens today in Christianity a lot. We want Jesus to serve us, but we're not serving him. We want the pastor and churches to serve us, but we're not serving. And you need to know the church isn't the church until everyone is serving. In fact, we're not really living out our faith until we're involved in serving. Jesus said it. Look at Matthew 20, 26 through 28. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus was all about sacrificial serving. He didn't come to get. He came, came to give. He came to serve. Going out of his way for others to find his ministry, Jesus left heaven and came to earth. And Jesus left his comfort and he took up a cross. And many of us are seeking Jesus to get greater comfort instead of seeking Jesus to serve others. This is how we can sit in our little church buildings and be hearing so much about what Jesus did, but the world doesn't change because we don't change it. He says, this is the example I've given to you. Now that you've seen, go do, because now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. We need to be involved in serving, and yet the vast majority aren't. And I'm not here to be mean. I'm here to tell the truth, because many of us want the promises of God, but we're not experiencing them. We know a lot, but we're not experiencing a lot, because we're not taking action. The church becomes the church that it's supposed to be when the people of that church become the people they're supposed to be and they become the people they're supposed to be when they wake up to Jesus, experience His love and get involved in showing His love. They experience His truth and get involved in telling His truth. Involved and involving others. In many church environments, they're actually trying to keep others out instead of involving them. Are you kidding me? Can you believe there are some churches where if a new person sits in another person's seat who attends there, that person gets mad? That would never happen at Northridge. (laughs) It's not about keeping them out. It's about involving them, serving them. Now, there's one very simple way, and I want you to know this is a first step thing. This isn't a final step thing, but there's one really simple way that's available to us at Northridge right now to really get involved in serving others who desperately need Jesus' love and truth and they need to see it even to remain alive. And it's through our Christmas offering that's coming up. I told you about it a couple of weeks ago. Now, if you're here and you're a guest, we'd never ask anything from you. I mean, we want something for you and this is our gift to you. But if you're a part of Northridge, this week you're going to receive in the mail a thing about our Christmas offering, Beyond Our Walls 2012. And, and if you don't get it this coming week, then you can pick it up at our guest services in following weeks to come at all of our different sites. But our Christmas offering this year is dedicated to saving lives by showing them Jesus' love, by telling them His truth, by building them a hospital network in the name of Jesus, in the name of His truth, that will save their lives. We're involved in two communities in Zambia, where kids are dying because there's no access to a hospital, to medical assistance. And we've done a ton of research and worked with medical experts and taken some over there and and gone and really worked this thing through. We can, for two and a half million dollars, build a hospital network that will save lives. People won't have to die unnecessarily because they'll have access to medicine and doctors. I, I think that's a great way to show his love to leave our comfort zone and to make a difference, to reflect Jesus in this world. And it's a big ask because last year we gave 560000 at our Christmas offering, 560000 And this year we're asking for $2.5 It's the natural next step, right? Um, <laughs> here's why I believe it's the natural next step. Last year, we just gave in general to compassion. This year, we're giving to build a hospital network that'll change the world. We're giving to something specific. We're giving to the little girl's family that I sat with who died because of malaria. We're we're giving to the family who lost their kid to 
waterborne diseases that could have been saved if they had had a hospital network. We're giving to real people and real families that we're giving to the sponsored children and their communities that we support here. We're giving to this hospital. And secondly, last year we raised close to 600000 with very few people involved. I believe this year if every single one of us gets involved, gives up Starbucks a day or gives up entertainment or gives up some form of thing where, and, and by the way, some person in giving $10 to this is giving more than a person giving a million dollars to this because of their budget thing. And I just believe we can raise two and a half million dollars. We've had a family already commit to a million two hundred and fifty thousand to this project and all we have to do is match the million two hundred and fifty thousand. You can do it and it shows his love. Now, don't get me wrong. This talk and 16 words is not about a Christmas offering. This is simply an opportunity where we can say, I can get involved in something. But it does not excuse us in our everyday living. Too many of us would rather give a dollar or a hundred thousand dollars to someone halfway around the world than actually give ourselves to our hurting neighbor and our hurting coworker. And if we're going to ultimately be involved in what Jesus has called us to, it's great to give. We should give generously to make a difference in places like Zambia, but we should be serving God and others in our everyday lives. There are thems. We need to know them and love them and care about them. The greatest ability we have is our availability. We should be available to our neighbor. God forbid we would ever drive past a hurting neighbor to come to church, pass out a program, give to a Christmas offering, and then drive past them again to go back into our house and remain isolated. I think the world would change is if we didn't ultimately get to church and pass out a program, but we stopped and helped our neighbor. What would be a better reflection of Christ? Now, I'm thrilled that people come, and I think we're supposed to come, and I'm thrilled that people serve here and pass out programs. I'm not diminishing that. I'm just saying... If we do that instead of loving our neighbor and our coworker, the world is getting darker. We need to wake the world up to Jesus. We need to care about them. We need to care about the orphans and the widows and the poor in our region, which is why we're investing so much, but few of us are investing, not the many. We need to care about the spiritually lost and needy in all of our worlds, but few are investing, not the many. So I, I want to end this series, this talk, this series, with two questions. I'm going to end it with two questions, okay? Now, when I was writing the talk, I thought of these two questions. But I wasn't smart enough to write them both down on the outline. And so there's only one question on the outline after I said two questions. It's an IQ issue. It's okay. So let me give you the first question. It's like an extra question. It's like an extra value question that's not even on your outline that you get to add, all right? First question, are you involved? Are you involved? Here's what I can tell you. If you're not, you're not experiencing God's blessing. You're not experiencing His promises. You're hearing about them. You're not experiencing them. Are you involved? Whatever level of the journey you're at, if you're not involved, you're not experiencing God. Now, some of you are here and you've never even chosen Him, confessed your sin, believed in His death, burial, and resurrection, and received the gift of forgiveness and new life. This is your moment. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved, but you've got to call. You're not a Christian because someone conferred it on you because of where you were born or who you were born to. You become a Christian because you choose Jesus. So just before I give you the last question, I'm going to ask you if you'd bow with me in a word of prayer, would you? Let's involve ourselves in this moment of prayer. And, and if you're ready to take this step to call on Jesus, pray with me. Make my words yours. Just say, Jesus, with my mouth... I'm confessing you as Lord. I'm confessing my sin. I'm confessing my rebellion. I'm confessing that I've lived without you. But now I'm confessing you as Lord. And I'm putting my trust in what you did when you died for my sin and rose again. And I'm calling on you to save me now. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed with me, quickly, I just want to encourage you. 
if you're in one of our live services, if you're here in Plymouth or Brighton Hall or Ann Arbor Saline, just take out the program that we handed you with all the different things in it and rip out the connection card. And, and on that, you fill out your name and address so we can get it to you. Then you check, today I prayed to receive Jesus Christ in my life. And if you did, we're going to send you a letter about next steps that you can take in navigating your relationship with God. And if you're watching church online, hit the what next button on your computer screen or your tablet, and we'll do the same thing with you. We'll send you a letter about next steps you can take in relationship with God. But now here's the second question. What's your next step of involvement? What's your next step of involvement? It doesn't matter where you're at in the journey. You say, oh, I've been following Jesus forever. What's your next step of involvement? Well, you say, well, I'm just here. I'm not even sure about the whole Jesus thing. What's your next step of involvement? You've got to take the next step. You've got to be involved. And so here could be an idea. Get involved in knowing Jesus If you don't know Jesus, get involved in knowing him. Do what it takes. Step into small group. Step into some of our spiritual formation classes that are coming in the new year and some of the Bible studies we do with men and women. Step in and start getting to know Jesus. Open the Bible yourself. Get to know Jesus. Because before you can involve them, you have to involve him. Right? Maybe your next step of involvement is to get involved in knowing your them. You know, the people in your world, the people close to you. Who, who sits next to you at work? Who, who works next to you in the, in the warehouse or the factory? Who, who teaches in the room next to you, you know, at the school? Get to know your them. In fact, I believe we've given you one of the greatest helps in living out your mission in this card. It's included in your program. If you're watching Church Online, there's a link that you can download it for yourself. It says, Wake the World Up to Jesus. And on the other side, it offers a grid where you can take your next step. It identifies your world, including the familiar places where often we fail to even recognize the value of people in our familiar places. We need to know our them, figure them out, name them by name, and then we need to know how to show them love and his love, not ours, and how to tell them his truth, his truth, not ours, and how to involve them and how to get involved with them. And this can help you. And know this, this is not a scorecard. It's not like, you know, honey, I've got 22 names. How many do you have? This isn't a scorecard. This is a game plan. This helps you to live out the 16 words. And only you know the best way to show your them love, his love, his truth, and involve them. Only you know. I can't tell you how to do it. Does that make sense? I, I hope you'll pray through this. Make it a part of your life. Now, here's how we conclude this whole series. 16 words. These 16 words should author how we live our lives in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, everywhere around. And here are the 16 words. I'm supposed to wake the world up to Jesus. Wake the world up to Jesus. Be awake to him and wake the world up to him. I'm supposed to show them his love. Show them his love. Tell them his truth. And involve them. And when I do, do you know what happens? He builds his church. Not buildings, but people. Do you know what happens? He prevails against the gates of hell. Hell doesn't win. Heaven wins. Do you know what happens? Light fills the world with darkness. And so we need to do it. But it's not enough for me to say it. It's not enough for me to do it. The only way this represents who we are is if this is who we are. You have to choose it. And so we're going to end this series by you saying the 16 words. Choosing to embrace it. Choosing to make it yours. Are you ready? 16 words. Now, I know you're going to look at the video screen, even though you should know these by heart already. I know you are, but that's okay. We're going to put them up there so you can. No sin, no crime in that. No judgment. Well, a little judgment. But anyway, here, here, here we go. Say it with me. Ready? Wake the world up to Jesus. Show them his love. Tell them his truth. So how many of you got really excited by that just now? That was like, for me, I, I, those words excite me, but the way we just said it together was better than Ambien, quite frankly. That was like a heavy dose of Tylenol PM. I mean, I'm out. I mean, if we're really going to wake the world up, it's going to take more. Wake the world up to Jesus. I can hear Eeyore doing that. Show them his love. Tell them his truth. Involve them.
You know, okay, here's the thing. I believe if we want to wake the world up to Jesus, we should start right now by waking the neighbors of Northridge Church up to Jesus. We say this thing with such excitement. So would you stand with me? And this is how we're going to end. We're going to say these together. Rock the world. Ready? Wake the world to Jesus. Show them. Tell them this truth. Involved. Now it's time to do it. Thank you, everybody.